If you're building software at any kind of scale beyond personal projects, then there's something else you end up needing to build too, and that's a community. I mean, at the very least, you've got a group of users who you should be talking to. But these days, it's often a mix of users and other developers, contributors, potential contributors, people who would like to be users if they could just understand what they're doing, so on and so on. There are a lot of people to consider on the other side of the code you're building. And I think that's great. I think it's one of the joys of programming to see other people using the things you've built and then collaborating with other developers to build bigger and better things. It's great. Community is essential, and I'm glad it is. The problem is that while I think software people are generally a warm, friendly, affable bunch on the whole, if you ask the average coder, how do you build a community? I think we're largely stumped on that question. It's an important question, but I don't think the answer comes naturally to programming types. So I thought we'd bring in an expert and listen to them, just to give us some ideas and some guidance on how you build better communities, why you want strong communities, what's it all for, how do we go about it? And this week's guest is Ali Murray. She's been a community manager in the tech world for coming on to a decade now. I've worked with her. She is a joy to work with, and she's also very good at her job. Um, most importantly, she's very practical at her job. She's got solid advice, and it's a pleasure to hear her impart it. So let's do just that. I'm your host, Chris Jenkins. This is Developer Voices, and today's voice is Ali Murray. Joining me today, it's Ali Murray. Ali, how are you over there? I'm great. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here. I've been uh, looking for an excuse to talk to you on the podcast <laughs> for a while. <laughs> I'm glad you found it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. So you are a community manager professionally for many years, right? Yes. And we're going to get into what that actually means and how we can learn to build better communities. But how did you get into that? What took your career in that direction? Yeah. It's a, it's a funny one because I started about nine years ago. Um, so this was not very popular when, when I started. Um, and I started because I uh, interviewed for a company called Datastacks who oh, yeah. um, work with Apache Cassandra. And uh, when I interviewed, I actually interviewed for the role of event manager uh, for marketing. But right. as I interviewed the person who eventually hired me said, well, actually we have two roles open and we would like you to choose which one you would like to go to. Um, this one is events and this one is community. So when he explained to me about the community, I said, listen, I mean, it sounds lovely, but I have no idea what you're talking about. And I have no <laughs> idea how to do that. <laughs> so, you know, I had been doing events for ages for, for many years uh, by then. So when he said that, I just was very honest. I said, I have no idea what this is about. And his response was, no one does. <laughs> no one knows how to do this. Um, I, I can just promise you that I'm going to help you on the, on the way to, to learn and we can learn together. So, um, I asked him, you know, what's, 
your recommendation? What if you were me? What would you do? Because you know the rules and you know me now that you've interviewed me. So what would you do? Mm. And um, his response was uh, something that definitely changed my life, uh, which was uh, you can always go back to events uh, because it's always going to be there. But yeah. if you specialize in community. Um, I can envision that it's going to be something very valuable five years from now. And um, if you really get um, very deep into that topic, I think you're going to end up being uh, finding that it's a very valuable experience for you and for, for your career and your growth. So I just thought, yeah, why not? Like, I can always go back to events. <laughs> Yeah. So that changed my life nine years later. I'm still in community and I really um very appreciative and thankful to to him. His name is Christian Hasker and he was my mentor for a long time and we learned how to do community together and it was yeah the best choice. I love it and I still love it nine years in and I'm just totally, totally in love with the community work and, and everything that has to do with it, which we're going to talk about. Later. Yeah, you've always seemed like a complete natural for um, just reaching out to people and community building type stuff. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. I, I, I mean, I really enjoy it. And I think that's part of why, why it looks natural. That comes across. So maybe we should start with um, how, you, how you found your feet in that role. I mean, where from scratch? What what the first things you had to learn? Yeah, it was uh, Catholic. That's <laughs> that's one thing <laughs> that it was. Uh, but um, at the beginning, because obviously we didn't know what we were what we were doing, we um, just tried. Uh, it, it was trial and error, really. So we would just tried a few things, failed at a few things, and then we identified the ones that we really succeeded at, um, and then we started to go from there. Um, mm. So some of the things that we failed at was to treat it as a marketing uh, opportunity, um, but with the community um, target audience. And that totally failed. We learned very quickly that that was not the approach. Um, so uh, that's one of the things that definitely we steered um, away from. And uh, some of the examples of things that worked with was to really focus on community for um community building and not for marketing purposes and with that prevailing on our strategy everything everything else fell into place so okay. it could be that we were doing events that looked very similar to the ones that marketing were doing um which we ended up ended up being uh, calling meetups which you know realizing that they were meetups um but they looked a bit, a bit similar to what marketing was doing and we realized that the <clears> or <throat> difference to that was the the approach from a marketing perspective rather than from a teaching perspective perspective and an educational perspective and a community building perspective so um, I don't think that we build community. I think that we build platforms that encourage the community to build it itself. And those were some of the platforms that, that helped. So meetups, Slack channels, um, all these, uh, uh, you know, blogs and all these things that, that we ended up doing. We just yeah. had that core um, information in them and that helped it to succeed. That's really interesting that it's that you think do you think it's a bit like 
farming in that sense. You're like you're not really you're not building a community, you're not constructing it, you're not dragging people into it. You are trying to build a pasture in which these things will naturally organically grow themselves. That's absolutely it. I think it's it's very difficult to force it. It's completely impossible to fake it. Uh, it's very transparent. You if people see through it, uh, yeah. you see through it. You know, it's it's completely transparent. So I think that to be uh, prepotent to think that you're building something and building a community is completely useless. I think <laughs> if you realize that you're actually just giving the tools for people to build a community themselves, then that becomes much easier on your strategy building, on the way that you see the job as well, uh, but also on the transparency that comes across from yeah. the community team to the community itself. Um, so yeah, I, I, I like that analogy. I think it's definitely like that. You're not, you know, you're not growing the fridge yourself. You're like <laughs> yeah. just making that, making sure the environment is right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like trying to do it as a marketing play early and failing badly was actually very educational. That's true. That's true. I'm really glad that we've, we failed a lot and we failed very early. We were running really fast. Uh, and I, I'm really glad that we discovered that very early on because it definitely allowed us to test everything else from a more pure perspective um and oh. with that other problems arise uh, arose i don't know how to say that but uh, basically um problems like uh the um, making sure the company was happy with the results and the measures and all that stuff it, it came you know because of yeah. that because if you are tied to marketing then it's much easier to to make sure that you can justify the work with numbers and um, yeah. when you're not doing it, it's much more difficult, but the results are long-term and they are completely different. And that's what you need to, to, to understand as a community manager is you cannot compare yourself with marketing and you cannot measure yourself in the same way. Uh, and if you understand that they're completely different uh, topics, it's much easier to come to, come to terms with that but what's difficult is to make everyone else in the company know that. <laughs> yes yeah i can totally believe yeah. maybe we should maybe we should start step back and look at that then if if a community isn't a marketing strategy and i completely agree with you it's not what's it for what do you put all that effort in for well that's a great question and i think it's for everyone it's it's for the company it's for the people. It's for the project. I think everyone benefits from from the work of, of the community uh, building itself. Uh, the people benefit themselves because they uh, find a group that uh, of like minded people that support them into you know whatever they're building or learning how to build whatever they're building. Um, they support them on you know not being alone in that road that yeah. it's just so lonely sometimes when you're learning those new um, uh, skills and, and and the ways that that you need to to figure out your projects by yourself. You're not by yourself anymore. It benefits the project because not only projects die all the time because of the lack of, of uh, activity, but it just helps it thrive. It helps it um, make sure that 
it's healthy, that it's um, the, the smartest people in the room are, you know, um, uh, collaborating and, and contributing to yeah. it. So the project grows and evolves and matures, and it's, it's very good for the, for the project. And it's really good for the company because they end up, um, you know, what, what you want as a company is for people to use the technology that you're inter- that you want them to use. For whatever yeah. reason, and every company has a different reason for that. Um, but if if you see a lot of of people using that technology that you really wanted, well, of course, it's beneficial for the company. So I think it's for everyone. I think uh, everyone that's involved benefits from it, um, as long as it's you know pure and 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 respected. Yeah, yeah. So we'll get into when it goes wrong. Yeah. But let's save that for a second. <clears throat> you, there is a need because of those three groups, right? The 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 people who come along to the community, the project, and the company. It feels like the company is the only one that's worried about measuring. Yeah, I mean, naturally, because it's the is the it has a business behind it, and I feel that the. Um, stress of a company to just show results all the time. It's, yeah. it's just behind that. And I think that, or I have, I have been very lucky to land in a company where that hasn't been the stress because the, the founders have been really, um, part of the community from the beginning. And I, they've understood that. So they've allowed us to have that freedom of not having that stress. But, um, it hasn't always been like that. I have been in other companies where that there is that stress. And, um, I think that if, if the measuring comes to play, um, the purity of the work of the community manager, it's, um, affected and, and that doesn't allow you to do the work very well or pure or, or how it should be done, in my opinion. And mm. that ends up contaminating the results as well, um, which ends up working, you know, affecting the, the, the company on the first place. So I think um, if you as a company have that long term vision of understanding that these results are not going to be like you're used to or like your other business reports and your other business measurements. Um, and you give it a little bit of a, of a space and a little bit of freedom. Then yeah. you're going to find that the results down, down the way are going to be more impactful than you thought. And you're just going to look back and go, Oh, okay. This is what happens yeah. when I let this happen and when I'm not in that stress business moment. Okay, so persuade. I'm just thinking if I if I'm a company, I'm sitting there and seeing there are twenty people on our Slack channel, yeah. right? And I've just hired the amazing Ali Murray to help <laughs> build our community. Am I not going to want to like ten x that number twenty or something? I mean, instinctively, that's what I want to do. Yeah, and if put you me on the right track. It, that will happen. <laughs> 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 but um, if you just start putting the pressure of, we have to just literally get people in here. I don't care how we get people in here. We have to double, triple, you know, whatever this number yeah. in this amount of time. Then the pressure becomes, oh no, I need the numbers. So let me just find random people to join the. The, the community yeah. and then just get it. But if what you really want is the people and the quality, it takes time. It will, it will not happen in a month or in six months like you are used to in your business. But 
it will happen over time and um, the quality of the people that you'll find in there, it'll be a, a much better measurement for for a result than the number in X amount of time. So what I always say to to the the managers is that is if you give it the benefit of the doubt that mm-hmm. it will get there eventually, just not in the same pace that you're used to, but it yeah. will end up with better results because it will be it'll be a more active, a more engaging, a more dynamic and a more um a safer community, then you'll look back and you'll realize that what you wanted was not those numbers. What you wanted was those numbers with the quality that comes with that. And to get there, it takes time. But um, if you're just focused only on the results and then and the numbers, it just, it doesn't work. Then what I say to people that, that ask me for advice on that regard is then just do marketing because that's what's going to help drive those numbers. And, and then the company is not prepared in a, in a, you know, in the maturity stage to, to, put efforts into the community efforts yeah so yeah yeah you've it, it, fundamentally it's one of those plays where you've got to believe in, in the value of the thing for and of itself exactly. rather than as a funnel to other departments yes exactly. yeah though having said that and i'm going to challenge you one more time on this okay so here i am running my I've, i'm convinced that my slack channel with 20 people will grow organically and happily but I look at this and I think there are 20 really good people on my Slack channel having good conversations. And surely there's another 200 out there who would be very happy here if only they'd heard of me. That's a very that, good point. And like just, just finding the people who naturally want to grow in your garden. Yeah. Is, is that a job for marketing or is that something that you were also doing? No, that's a job for a community for sure, because that's a different problem. The first problem that you challenged me with was the numbers <laughs> and the results, right? So how do yeah. we do this? How do we multiply? This one is how do I actually get the people that are interested in what is happening here? And this can be value for them. And that's where I come from. Yeah. Uh, or that's where I come to, <laughs> really. It's um, I, I'm not selling them anything. Mm-hmm. I am providing them with the right environment for them to grow and and to to help themselves really so that's definitely a job for community and that allows me to find those right 200 people and not the random 200 people down the street so um your slack channel becomes active it becomes valuable and you feel that you are giving value to people which is what i think ultimately is the is the goal for the community department is to make sure that you're giving people value because if you're not then it is another marketing effort yeah yeah i think maybe that's really the hits the nail on the head it's not that you're you're not measuring a community by the number by the numbers that you've got but actually by how much value you're giving away in a sense mm-hmm, absolutely yeah. uh, and and the way to do that is yeah you you um build a strategy, which we're going to talk about later. And uh, with, with the strategy, that's how you start bringing people towards your your efforts, on to, towards your environment. Um, and that environment can live in many in, in many places, right? We're talking about Slack as an example, but it could be many places. It could be meetups. It could be your Stack Overflow, your Reddit. I don't know, whatever you have, everyone, every company and every project and every person has a different set of um, environments that, that 
that the community lives at. And I think that's very important to distinguish and also to distinguish that your community is not your Slack channel. Your community <laughs> is not your Stack Overflow. Is everywhere people live at um, and uh, everywhere that people that are interested about your technology are hanging out. Uh, and uh, that's a tool. But your community is the actual people that are there. And that's, the pe- that's what you need to create value for. Okay, so do you think when I look out into the world and I realize the scales fall from my eyes and I realize it's not just Slack, there are people talking about it on Stack Overflow and other places, where should I be looking? And then are there different strategies for making those places more valuable to people, depending on the medium? Yeah, absolutely. You should be looking everywhere because that's where you find them. So, you know, your community is not Slack, it's who lives in Slack, but they don't only live in Slack. They live in yeah. many other places. So uh, you should always be looking everywhere. The challenge comes to um, when it's time to work on those other places. I think the first thing to do is to step back and then just have a look at all these places and decide which one brings the most um, value to your community and to yourself and where do you want to actually drive the efforts to so then maybe you say i don't need a slack cha- a, a, a space actually because people are already living very happily in my reddit group let's say right. um, so why am i going to create something else to drive them away from that but then if you start becoming uh, becoming a little bit more interested in bringing them value then you go well actually if i move them from reddit to slack and i try to to guide them towards the, the, the Slack, then we can have more valuable conversations on threads that they won't get lost and people can find the topics easier. So if you focus on, okay, what do I want to give them as value? Then you can decide where to put your efforts and every community is different. So I cannot tell you, you know, it's a rule for everyone because I don't think it is. So different communities live in different places, Discord, Twitch, discourse everywhere and, yeah. and they, they find themselves in many other places. But in this particular case, let's say that you decided that actually Slack was the best place for them to go. Um, then with the strategy, just start be- uh, uh, making that the priority towards the environment that you're building and and uh, preparing for them to live in a, more, in a healthier way. So your focus will be on this like um, a channel, so oh, this like a uh, space. So then that way, you know that all the efforts that you're going to make on your strategy that will waterfall to uh, waterfall your goals uh, to, then it's all focused on that like. Mm, it depends on as well how many people you have working for your team. You know, yeah. obviously, if you're a team of one person, which is a, a lot of the times, then you need to focus on one effort at a time or two efforts at a time maximum. Then if your team starts growing, then you can start looking at more places. So then suddenly you say, I don't actually need to do Slack only. I can make Slack and Stack Overflow really healthy places for for people to live um, in, in both of them. And, and I'll be happy with that. So then if you have more team members, then you can just start increasing your scope uh, regarding the environments that you're targeting. So it, it depends. But if in an ideal world, if I had 50 people in my community team, <laughs> I would be definitely targeting all of them because I don't think one is better than the other. And I think you should just go where the community lives. You should meet them where they are. Yeah, yeah. So 
yeah, you definitely need to go where they are and but also think where they could be offered more value. And I guess that's what you're saying. If you're one community manager, you get to pick those two targets, right? The one where they currently are and the one potentially different one where you think it could be most improved. You got it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm learning a lot here. <laughs> okay. So, but do you think within that, I mean, we know all the usual roll call of places you'll find the community like Slack, Twitch, Reddit, so on. Do you think each one has a different character? has a different particular set of values it offers people? I do, because the people that hang out in them are, are a bit different. So you don't find the same Chris on Slack and on Reddit and on Slack Overflow. Um, if it was, I think that the, the channels are what the, what the community makes them be. Mm. Um, so the Chris that brings a lot of value on Slack won't have time to bring the same value to Stack Overflow. So then an alley raises there to make that a different space. And I do believe that the, the influencers of the channels are the people who are the most active in them. And they are the ones who set the tone for um, the health of the channel itself. So not all channels are the same, but it doesn't mean that already groups are the same. So I'm not saying that, you know, for project A, B, and C, uh, all the Reddit are the same. I just think that they are all very different according to the people that live in them. Yeah. So you're saying go and find the tone and learn from it in that particular place. In that case, let's get onto this topic, which is a thorny one. What if you come in as a new community manager to a new job and you find that most of the conversation is on, let's pick Reddit, and it's kind of a sour conversation? As yeah. happens, there are to toxic places on the internet that you could inherit, find yourself serving. What do you do when things go wrong, Ali? Yeah, well, that's really the most difficult issue to face when you're working with communities. And I think it's important to try your best to not let it get to that point. If you can, if you are already, if you, like you say, coming into it, um, mm. I think that there's a few things that you can do. Um I think setting an example is the best thing you can do in this case. Uh, and the people who set the, ex the example are, are various people. So uh, one of them uh, is you, yourself and your community team, whether that's you alone or anyone else. It's uh, anyone who's close to your community team, like your developer advocates, uh, your integration architects, your everyone that's close to it, that has uh, interactions at this, in this channel that are part of the company, mm -hmm. the leaders of the company, that pop in here and there, uh, whether that is the founders or people who are very influential in the community from an engineering uh, standpoint that join into the into the channels, they are very influential. And uh, another group of, of influencers is the the people who are the community influencers. So they are not part of your company, but they are very um, huge in the project, whether that is because they uh, use it or they just are fans or they are uh, committers or contributors or anything that, that they are. There's some very strong voices. And I think those are the people that uh, you can target. So because you cannot target a group of 30,000 people, right? It's very yeah. com completely impossible. So what I think is if you cl uh, work really closely with that group of people, which could be five or 20, but it's much more manageable, ma manageable than 30,000, um, you can 
help them be the good influence in the in the community that in the in the space so um for example if uh, i see that one of these people are not using the great you know tone that i wanted or they are not very kind to someone or then i just have a word with them and then just just talk and then explain to them that they are very visible because people are not aware of the huge influence they they have most of the times um, so if I make them aware that you are an example uh, and thanks to whatever you say, that's how the community is going to behave, then people normally will go, oh, actually, I didn't realize that. Thanks for telling me. I'll change my tone from now on. And that's it. And it's worked 99.9% of the times. Um, and the same goes for when a random community member comes and then just becomes really, you know, rude or anything uh, sour, as you say, in the community. Yeah. I think the best uh, approach that has worked for me is to just uh, go on, on a direct message or on a phone call or however the environment allows, you know, DM on Slack or however yeah. the environment allows and uh, say the same. Hey, you know, listen, there's another human being on the other side of the, of the computer and, um, they might not speak the same language that you speak and you are, um, you know, becoming a little bit worked up because of that. And maybe yeah. just is lost in translation or, uh, you don't know the, the, the set of stress that this person is, uh, right, uh, on the right now, maybe be a little bit kinder or, and I always try to remind them of the human side of it and they'll every single yeah. time or 99.9% of the times go, ah, you're very right. I'm sorry. I won't do it again. And they don't. Um, and I think that's, that's key. And I'm very proud to say that in six years, I've had to block maximum five people from our Slack. Um, everyone else gets it. And I always also believe in second chances. I also always believe in let's not do it again. Uh, but if you do, I'm going to have to block you because it's not the example that we have to, that we want to set for our community. Yeah. And only a, a handful of times I've had to do it again. And so it does work and people do realize that it is, that it is human and that it is a, 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 a core of the community to treat each other with respect and to not become sour. So I do think that if you treat people like people and not like bots or not like trolls, but like people, yeah. uh, then, uh, you give them the benefit of the doubt and, and most of them do come come around. Yeah, I, I can believe that. That's roughly been my experience. You know, there are a few bad actors in the world, but most people are just not aware of the whole perspective of their actions, right? I, but they want to be they want to be good, but they <laughs> This sounds very moral, but they they want the best for the community, but maybe don't see all the angles for their behavior. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. And once you point it out to them and they step back and they see it again, they go like, oh, okay, yeah, I can see it. And and maybe they're a bit more aware the, 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 the next time. So, yeah, I think it does work. Yeah, yeah, I can believe that. That raises the question of, like, as a community manager, let's say you're dealing with 30,000 people, as you said, what does your job actually involve? I mean, are you broadcasting to 30,000 people? Are you contacting individuals? How do you, Ali Murray, interact with a large community? Yeah, it depends on the strategy and on the um, 
status of the strategy at that time because the strategy changes over time. My strategy right now, six years into Confluent, is not the same one that a year in or than when I first started. So it just depends on the strategy. So my interactions uh, change with that maturity of the of the strategy and that change of the strategy. So at the very beginning, it was way more one-on-one and I knew everyone. And, uh, you know, it was only, I don't know, 50 of us or 100 of us in the community. And we all knew each other and I knew everyone. And it was a matter of building that very core um, group of people that would just then expand. Uh, but right now with the 37, 40,000 people on Slack and 200,000 people on meetups, it just becomes... Um, a completely different way of approaching. So the way we do that is now with the different um, groups uh, that that really come down from the strategy. For example, one of the groups that we have are the influencers, um, which are the MVPs. Mm, another group we have is the speakers. Another group we have is the hosts. Another group we have is the... Um, um, so we have MVPs and we have influencers. There are two different ones. So we do have these different groups of people that we interact with. So that's what becomes, uh, my interactions become tied to those groups of people, depending on where the strategy is at the moment and how big the community is. Because obviously I cannot be pretending to know 30,000 people or to talk to all of them. Um, so the, the efforts are focused on those groups of people who are then going to influence the rest of the community, right? So yeah. your speakers, they influence everyone else. Your influencers, your MVPs, your hosts, they all influence everything, everyone else. So they become an extension of you. So those are the people I interact with the most. Um, but obviously, sometimes it becomes the broadcasting uh, messages because we want people to know about something. So yeah, we definitely broadcast something or we uh, want to include someone in, in one of the components, everyone in one of the components that might be a game uh, at Summit. I don't know. So then we include everyone and that becomes more uh, like a broadcast message. But um, it's mostly depending uh, and, and is waves. There's, there's times where you are talking to everyone and, uh, you know, the, the strategy just points you that way. And then there's times where it's more quiet and it allows you to do more of the administrative uh, work. But, um, yeah, that's basically, did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, it, it makes me wonder, right? So you have these MVPs, ambassadors, right? I was talking to someone last week who said um, what they really want for their community was that wonderful viral effect when you get people that don't work for your company talking about your what you're doing and spreading it. And I can see why a company wants that, but there's also a risk of abusing that to make the MVPs in your community basically be free DevRel. How do you tread that fine line? That's, um, I think... It's not as complicated as it might sound, in my opinion. I think that um, you need to provide them with the value that that they want. And everyone is driven by a different thing. So I think it's a matter of learning what drives them, what what makes them tick, you know, and, uh, and help them 
with that. So help them achieve that. So if one person from your influencers, for example, what really they really want is to become well known and uh, to make sure that they are uh, a good presence in the community, then uh, you work with them to help them uh, be their face on a lot of talks, become, you know, uh, very important at the role of summits or things like that. And, and um, you help them um, become more active in the Slack channels by uh, maybe making sure that you point topics to that that you know they are very good at to them and stuff like that. So one of the things we do, for example, is we ask uh, all of our MVPs what they are uh, experts on and nice. uh, what they what they want. So what do you want from this? So some of them, they say, oh, I just want um, to be recognized by my um, skills. Some of them want to be recognized by their the, the way they present and the way they uh, they speak. Some of them want to just build CV by naming there that they were MVPs. Fine. Yeah. You know, so depending yeah, on sorry. what drives them, I think that's where you need to meet them. I found more difficult to actually get the, the help from them that I need rather than abuse them from from my side you know so like rather than just uh make sure that that they uh, are not you know get overwhelmed by overwhelmed by what i'm asking i think it's uh better to just make sure that um that they are comfortable and that they are not doing too much for us but um i found that it's definitely more difficult to get them to do stuff uh, for the company rather than the, the other way around um but yeah right. i think that's that's worked very well uh, it's uh what what makes them makes them uh, happy at the moment and it's different as well every year so we've had some mvps for example that in one year they they really want to work on their speaking skills and we help them be at many meetups and uh, conferences and whatever. And then maybe that same person next year becomes an MVP again. But what they want to do is to just be really into the, the code or into the, the technology itself. So then we make sure that they are more, um, they're tagged more on the Slack conversations that include that those topics and stuff like that. And I think yeah. that's the best way of getting the best from people to help them achieve what they want so again it's the same strategy at a at the individual level what you're doing is stopping thinking what you can get from them and how can you support the people who are already doing actually quite useful stuff for the community how can you support them absolutely and i think that's the key to it it's just to know that they're not working for you no one is the community is not working for you you're working for them <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You could almost like you could have flipped the arrow from what a company would expect their building community for. Yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the word that keeps coming to my mind is nurturing. Do you th what kind of personality makes a good community manager? I think people that care about people, uh, and that understand that people are people and they're not numbers <laughs> and they are yeah. not, uh, you know faces to be sold to and someone that understands that um i think diplomacy is a big one uh <laughs> yeah. a diplomat, definitely particularly to deal with uh the sour 
conversations on Slack and stuff like that, it really definitely takes someone with um, a diploma uh, mindset to to talk to to people that are not in seeing the, the, the things like you're seeing them. Um, but I also think that definitely someone that's organized and that knows, um, you know, that what they're doing, because this is very chaotic. It's a lot of things happen at the same time. Um, and it's really difficult to keep track of that. And it's really difficult to keep track of all the people that you're talking to at once. So someone that's very organized needs to, needs to be that person. So organized, diplomatic and the most important one uh, to care about people. I, I, I genuinely care about people. I genuinely care when someone is successful with their projects. It's like, you know, that yeah, is yeah. successful as well. Uh, but before that, it's just I genuinely care because I've seen their their um, path and uh, to, to, to get to there. And it's just fascinating to be able to to see that and and to be part of that and in a, in a certain way in a very small small way but it's just great to witness that yeah yeah i think that came across from the very first day i met you actually that's you great to hear. That. That's great to hear. <laughs> i have to ask because you've you've done this entirely for technical technical communities right yeah. but i don't think I think I'm right in saying you don't really have any technical skills. You don't have a background in programming. Do you think that's held you back? Does it not matter? So I think that a lot of the times when you're too immersed in the same topic that everyone else is, it's like a relationship, right? If my mm. husband and I work at the same at the same uh, you know company, we either get along really well and it's just really great, or we get fed up with the conversation. <laughs> so I think it's like you really have to be very lucky to to find that person who who talks to you exactly your same language and just walk the path with you. And I think it's the same with this is um, I see things in a different way and, and, and in a different perspective. I think that um, having the technical knowledge would probably, I know myself and in my own case, I'm too much of a perfectionist and I would probably just focus a lot on the technical side part to be good. And there's yeah. a lot of people in the community that already do that. So the fact that I focus on the people being good and you know, being well, I think that has helped me a lot. If if I don't, if I take the technical eye out of it and just focus on the person behind it, um, I I'm able to do my job better. And that's me. Not is not the same for everyone or for every community manager. A lot of people do prefer having a technical eye so that they can, which I totally respect, that they can know what the best, uh, you know, response is to a certain question and stuff like that. Um, I, I'm not technical, so I, I do rely a lot on the technical people that uh, work next to me. Um, yeah. I really like that. I really like being able to connect those dots and being the bridge. And I do feel like a bridge. Um, I feel that a lot of the times when people um, all think the same, it's difficult to find that bridge, that person that bridges them. Um, so I really like being that. I think it hasn't helped me back. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we there's definitely a reputation among programmers as not having those people skills first. <laughs> and maybe that is a large hole in the market where we need people <laughs> like you, Ellie. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Thank you. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Um, do you know, one thing I wanted to ask you as well on top of this was um, 
like if put it this way if you had to jump into a brand new community if you were looking for a new job as a community manager would you rather start with an existing community or try and build one from scratch um that's a very good question because i think it also depends on where that existing community is um I have seen um, and I have friends in the community management uh, industry as well that uh, start from fully scratch and it's great. But some of them start with an unhealthy community or a community that has been, you know, not neglected or just not worked uh, with in, in the way that, that I would like to do it. So if that's the case, I would definitely rather start from scratch and just being able to build something healthy from from the beginning i i do think it's both of them have their challenges i think it's very hard to try to steer something that's already going in a direction um i think that's very hard Uh, i also think it's very hard to start something from nothing so uh both have their challenges um i think it depends on the strength of the challenge in each one uh, yeah. because it's it'll be very much easier to build something from scratch that is already like that is a very good topic and that's a very good technology versus something that's just not really that great of a technology or that is you know maybe an old topic and something like yeah. that um and the same for something exist that's already existing if if it's already existing and it's just starting and it's just going on the right direction is much easier to just jump in and then just keep steering it than if it's something that started a few a couple of years ago and it's actually just going in a direction that you don't want it to, to steer it back. Um, if I had to, to choose, I think I would probably rather do it from very early days. So um, I've really enjoyed doing it from early days in the places that I've worked at. And I think that that allows you to build that health in the community that I was yeah. talking about, um, with the, setting the example of how you want people to talk, um, when something is already sour, changing that uh, is is way more difficult. Yeah, yeah. Plus, I would have thought there's a risk that in that situation you're going to come in and look like an outsider. Yes, exactly. So trying to change the way things have always been done. Yes, I totally yeah. agree. What was this person doing? And, and yeah, that's a little bit more difficult. It is not impossible, and a lot of people react very well to it, but there's always a bigger risk, in my opinion. Yeah. It's funny, as a programmer, you face exactly the same shape of problem coming into a code base that's unfamiliar. And like, it's it's easier to go in and work with a code base that's already well refactored and neat and runs well than to try and correct the ship, especially if there's a big team there that you're oh. trying to think about programming in different ways. It's like, <laughs> of course. It's funny, yeah. it's exactly the same shape of problem. That's true, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the same uh, if you're going to start from scratch, it has its challenges because how do you even begin? Uh, yeah. Then once you start, it's, it becomes better. But if you're going to start with something that's already a bit broken, then it's very chaotic as well. So, yeah, it's the exact same, exact yeah, same yeah, problem. Yeah, it really right? is. So that kind of leads into the... Uh, and I'm afraid I'm not hiring, but this is going to sound like a job interview at the moment. Um, <laughs> but when, 
if hypothetically you were looking to get a new community job manager job, or let's put it this way, someone listening to you is thinking of becoming a community manager, what are you going to be looking for in the existing community as green or red flags? What, what conversation are you going to want to have with the management hiring you about their thoughts about community? Hmm. That's really interesting. So that's the, actually the first thing that I advise people to do when they start a, a community role is sit down with your management and define what community is for them. Um, because it's defined differently for everyone. And, mm-hmm. uh, I think agreeing on that very basic definition is the start, of, the start to everything. So total green, a uh, red flag for me is, uh, an opportunity to market or monetizing the community. Red flag for me. Some other community managers are very, uh, into that, which I totally respect. And it's a completely different approach. It's just two different ways, not one of them better than the other, just two different ways. For me, I am the not monetizing way. Um, um, Secretly, uh, you think those other people are going to fail, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) not really, but it's just not community for me. Okay. You're far too diplomatic to say that. (laughs) (laughs) I told you. (laughs) But um, to me, I think total red flag, if, if you are going to starting a company and you come and tell me, hey, Ali, I'm going to become a community manager at this company, but they really want me to show them how we're, how much money we're going to bring from the community in a year. I would go, hmm, I mm. don't know. I wouldn't advise you to get into that role because I think your life is going to be incredibly difficult because you cannot do two, the, the two of them together in, 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 a, in a healthy way, in my opinion. Either one mm. of them is going to get hurt, either the business side or the community side but one of them is going to get hurt and you're going to be in the middle of it so that would be really hard for me um i think another red uh, flag would be if the community is as you say sour if it's already unhealthy um and they they come to you and they say hey chris this is your job now and you need to fix this it's uh, just really bad at the moment i would really i mean a lot of them are are very um, possibly uh, <laughs> solvable, but uh, a lot of them are just doomed. And uh, I would just make sure that you're not getting into a doomed one. Um, and that way to to know that is very easily just going in there and then just making sure if you if you would feel comfortable becoming into like coming into a community and uh, as another community member and just hanging out there. Would you feel comfortable? Would you feel accepted and welcomed and respected? And if you're not, I would really say this has maybe gone too far on the sour side and it's just very difficult to steer that ship. So that's another red flag. Um, and I think that's the, the, the two main ones. Everything else, I think it's very uh, workable um it might be more difficult but it's workable but those two things are definitely no-nos to me yeah yeah i guess you've got to go into it with the mindset of you're about to spend the next few years of your working life in this community how does that sound exactly exactly yeah. and a few years ago i actually got approached by a by a job job that uh i looked into and it was a very very nice job and um uh, I just looked into their community and I thought, 
I don't want to be working with these people all the time. <laughs> it's just definitely not what I want to do in, you know, my everyday life to, yeah. to literally deal with fires all the time. This is not, <laughs> not something I would sign up. I'm not going to ask you which company, but what sector <laughs> was it? Uh, no, I cannot say. You're not even going to say the sector? <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> I cannot say. <laughs> Okay, so then in that case, to wrap this up, um, I've got a sense of what some of your answers are going to be roughly on this. But at the end of the day, what do you personally get from it? Mm. So I get, I get the feeling of being able to help people who are able to change the world. So I... I'm not capable of doing that myself. So, <laughs> I love being able to work with such smart people that I can help them find an environment that will help them change the world. And I think that's great. Uh, I love that. But I also, I really enjoy it. I love people and I love being able to just be that bridge. I love it. I mean, it's a personality type. So I get yeah. a lot of satisfaction from that. Um, I... I'm also really attached to the communities that I've built and I see them as my babies and I still, <laughs> you know, go into the previous communities I worked into and I just see how they are. And if they're thriving, I really feel amazing about it. And if they're not, I'm like, oh, I wish I could do something about it. I, they are my babies. So I love it. Uh, <laughs> and um, I really get very attached to, to it. So everything that has to do with that is is what I get from it. So that satisfaction of it thriving and that satisfaction of uh, people being able to find each other in there and being that bridge. I really like it. It's just, it's just great for me. That is a beautiful note to end on. And may I say that we're very lucky to have people like you in our tech communities oh. building those bridges. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate that. And likewise, we're very lucky to have people <laughs> like you and amplifying all the messages that you are. It's just really amazing. <laughs> Well, on that wonderful note, Ali Murray, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate you. Uh, Ali, thank you very much. There's a lot to think about there. Regardless of what kind or size of project you're working on, whether it's a small open source thing or a company that's trying to grow, you need to understand your community and serve them to help it grow. It's actually something I need to start thinking about myself for this podcast. Because it's all about listening to the people who are trying to move the industry forward, talking to them. In due course, it would be nice to have a place where we can all have that conversation together. Uh, and when that moment arrives, I'll come looking for you. I'll find you. Not in a Liam Neeson way. I will find you in an Ali Murray way. I promise. In the meantime, please don't make yourself hard to find. If you want to get in touch for any reason, my contact details are in the show notes, as always. Let me know what topics you'd find most valuable to hear about. I am currently researching new guests, so that will help feed into the pipeline. I look forward to hearing from you. And until then, and until next time, I've been your host, Chris Jenkins. This has been Developer Voices with Ali Murray. Thanks for listening. 